It's great to see you guys, and uh, again, we're so glad that you're here. Um, We are just a huge faith family, and we love uh, Jesus, we love our church, we love being the church here in our community, and we're truly glad you're with us. This summer, we're going through a study called Rhythms. If you haven't been here the last few weeks, then I encourage you to try to go online and listen. Last week, I tried to do uh, a recap of uh, the week one, this is the third week. Anyway, last week I tried to do a recap of week one and it turned into a more like a, a mini sermon before the sermon. <laughs> Kate, why are you shaking your head yes? You, you, you just acknowledge that that's true, right? It's absolutely true. Um, and so what I'm gonna try to do this week is just try to get on with it, okay? Everybody gonna be glad for that. But if you have missed the last two weeks, what I would really encourage you to do especially is to go back and listen to week one so that you can really understand the heart and desire of this series. But in a, the briefest recap that I can offer, what we are doing here as a church, what my role is as your pastor, what we want to encourage in you is that you might know the Lord, that you might know God, You were made by God and you were made for God and your heart will be restless until you find your home in him. I'm telling you, the Lord is the greatest person, the greatest being in all of the world. And he can be known. In fact, he created you to know him and he can be known by you. And the wonderful news for your life, so many times we we go into church or we we begin a, a spiritual journey or pick up religion thinking that we're trying to get back to God, but what the wonderful news of the gospel is, the the Bible, the wonderful news of it is this, that in this is love, 1 John says, not that we have loved God, not that we have done anything to try to get God to love us, but rather God has loved us. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and he gave his son for the forgiveness of our sins. The wonderful news is before you ever begin to journey back toward God, he has already begun the journey toward you and giving his son Jesus to live perfectly the life that you cannot live, to die sacrificially, to take the sin that you need to pay for, but he took it from you and to rise triumphantly that you might have the opportunity for new beginning, new power, new life, new relationship with God. This morning, I want you to know if nothing else, God loves you. He cares about you. He wants you. He has done everything necessary to invite you back in. All he wants for you is your surrender to him. And so this summer, what we're doing is we are studying this. We're in a series called Rhythms. It's a study of spiritual disciplines. And the premise of this study is simple. It's that we can do things in our life to position ourselves to know God more, to enjoy him more, to experience more of him in our life and to grow in his likeness. There are things that God has called us to do to position ourselves. We can't control God. We can't manipulate God. We can't coerce God. But there are things that we can do to position ourselves that we might have the maximum opportunity to enjoy his presence, to grow in his fellowship and to become more like him. There are things that God calls us to do. And so we've been looking at that instruction that Paul gave Timothy, train yourself for godliness, for it is a value in every way. In other words, are you willing to do the things that are necessary in your life to really grow in God? You pursue things that you want, right? 
You always invest and pursue things that you're interested in and that you want. The question of this series is this. Do you really want to grow in your personal fellowship with God? Do you really want to know his presence more? Do you really, really, really want to enjoy him with your life and to know what it's like to walk with God day in and day out? Do you really want to grow in his likeness? If so, then there are some things that you can do to invest in that relationship. Does that make sense? To position yourself to really begin to grow in enjoying and experiencing God more. That's the study of Christian disciplines, okay? It begins with the heart and then it manifests in a lifestyle. I told you last week we're gonna be working through this acronym, worship. And last week we started with a W, but if you didn't write these down already, I go ahead and encourage you to do this. You can also find these online always if you go to the sermon podcasts. Who's ever tried to do the podcast on the website? It's really cool. Um, great. You can find all the PowerPoints from every Sunday uh, for the last like four years online in, in addition to all the audio. So you can always go and download these. But here's the acronym we're working through. Worship. Because all of these are desires that we should have in our life to grow more with God and to become more like him in our life. Worship God. Open myself to God. Relinquish the false self and idols of my heart. Share my life with others. Hear the word of God. Incarnate Christ's love for the world. Finally, pray to God. These are desires that every Christian should have. There's no magic Um, categorization of Christian disciplines. This is just one way, but I really like this way because it, it really, in a beautiful way, in a simple way, articulates the desires that we should have, the desires that God has said, pursue these things to become more like me and to grow in my likeness here in this world. And I hope that you have these desires in your heart. So what we're doing each week is we're taking each desire and then we're working through some practical, we're gonna explain that desire and then work through some practical disciplines, life positions, that you can begin to pursue that, to see that manifested more in your heart, your life, okay? Last week, we covered worship. And this week, what are we covering? This is the audience participation part of the show, okay? What is it? Open myself to God. Open myself to God. Will you say that with me? Open myself to God. That is what we're gonna be pursuing this morning. If you've got a Bible, if you'll turn to Psalm 139, Psalm 139. As you do that, um, let me just briefly try to explain the heart behind this particular set of of desire and disciplines. Um, Anybody, does anybody in the room have a relationship of any kind? Okay, those of you who are not raising your hands, This morning, I would like to introduce you to someone. Um, We're glad you're here. Just kidding. All of us have relationships, right? Has anybody ever gone through the day and you get uh, so busy that you basically, in all of your work and all of your busyness, begin to see right through people instead of like actually noticing them? For instance, do you ever do you ever work around people or at home? Uh, hang out with your spouse or out at dinner 
or whatever, where you, where you literally get so tied up in something else that you almost treat people as objects rather than people. And you ignore the opportunity for growing relationship. Has that ever happened to you? It happens all the time in relationships. Um, I, I'll give an example of Michelle. Michelle and I, for instance, at the end of the day, can get home. And one of us already being there, the other one comes in, and things are so busy. You got dinner to cook, you got Caroline to feed, you got to finish notes for, for the hospital, or I've got something to prepare for, for a meeting later that night or tomorrow. And suddenly you're around each other, right? We're sitting literally like side by side on the couch. But what's happening is we're really not relating to each other. We, I mean, we're, we're, we're around, but we're really not growing together. We're not opening up and sharing what's really going on on the inside. You might give some casual, how are you? I'm good. How was your day? It was good. You know, anybody have these conversations? And it's all like surface level, but you never really get past that to really know the person. Anybody track it with me? Does this happen? Yes. I think it happens to all of us. And the reality is um, you really have to have two things to really open yourself up in any relationship. One, you have to have a desire for that. All right, you should write these two things down. You really have to have the desire for openness in any relationship. Moving beyond surface level, how you doing? Good, good, good. Check, check, check. You have to, if you don't desire openness in a relationship, you're not going to have it. Secondly, you have to have intentionality. You have to have intentionality. That's why Michelle and I are a big, big fan. And if you've ever talked to us on a personal level as couples, we recommend it all the time in premarital counseling. We always recommend what we call date night. In other words, we've recognized the desire to just live such busy lives and such shallow lives together, even when we're in each other's presence, not to really grow relationally, such that we've said we have a desire to, to grow relationally, to be open together, but we really need to plan a way to have those moments of growth and opportunity. In other words, to have moments together where the sole purpose is to grow relationally, where there's nothing else going on. That is our intention. So Friday nights typically date nights. We haven't been doing the best lately. We had one last night. Happy anniversary, baby. Um, It was great. But that has been our intention. In other words, you, if you don't plan to spend time with other people where you're really open together, where you have the purpose of growing in your relationship with someone, you are not going to do that typically. Takes two things. What are the two things? Desire and what? Intention. It's just the reality. So, um, Psalm 139 gets us to the psalm. It'll be on the screen if you don't have it already. And I'm not, we're not going to read the whole psalm, but I want to show you that not only does this apply, this principle apply to your human relationships, most importantly, this applies to your relationship with the Lord. Psalm 139, I love, here it starts. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You're well acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. 
You hem me in behind and before me and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is, is too wonderful for me. It's high and I cannot attain it. The rest of the psalm goes on to speak of the details of how intimately and intricately God knows you. In other words, much like Michelle and I are together all the time, God is constantly with you. God hems you in, it describes, like a a pillowcase to a pillow. That's maybe a bad analogy. But in other words, God envelops you. He's always near to you. He knows you. He knows what's going on in your heart. He knows what's going on in your mind. He knows what you're doing in the day. God is always near you. There's nowhere that you can go, the psalmist goes on to say, to get away from God. If you go to the highest mountain, if you try to go to the deepest part of the sea, you will never escape the nearness of God to you. In other words, just like Michelle and I hang out together in the same space, right? God is always near us. But really, the difference in your relationship with the Lord is not going to be just about God's nearness to you and his desire for you, but rather, do you recognize his nearness and do you desire and take the actions that are needed to really open yourself up to a growing relationship with God? Do you have the desire and the intention of really growing nearer relationally to the one who is always near you? Does that make sense? There's a difference in being around and being known, being open. And that's why if you go to the very end of the psalm, Psalm 139, after all of this detail and explanation of the fact that God is near you and he wants to know you, he wants that, the psalmist finally gives in. And he does what we're trying to say today that God wants us all to do. He says in verse 23 and 24, Oh, search me, O God. And know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Now, on first glance, you might say, well, that's kind of silly. He just got through saying, God knows all about him. He knows all of his thoughts. Before words on his tongue, God knows it. He knows the depth of your heart. He knows everything that you're thinking. He knows everywhere that you are. And so why would you need to say, oh God, search me. Try me. Know my thoughts. Know my heart. See me. When you just got through saying, God sees me. Seems kind of silly, right? Except that what you know in your human relationships is this. I can know something that Michelle is going through. I can sense because of our relationship. People that you're close to, do you know when typically they're in trouble? (laughs) Do you know when something's hurting them? Do you sense when something's going on? And a lot of times you can see more clearly what's going on in somebody else than they can see themselves. Y'all ever known that to be true? But let me tell you, when Michelle finally opens up and says, here's what I'm going through, even if I already knew it, and usually I already do, how wonderful is that to hear it, right? What does that do to our relationship? 
it grows us together because there's an acknowledgement now of what has already been known, but it hasn't been admitted. You tracking with me? That kind of reciprocity in relationship is key to relational growth. It is absolutely key. The same thing is true of God. You might say to yourself, well, God already knows everything that I'm thinking. There's no need to tell God. He knows what I'm thinking. God already knows everything that I'm feeling. There's no need to tell God. He already knows what I'm feeling. God already knows what I've done. There's no need to tell God. But no, just like any other relationship, God works the same way. He wants us to say, oh, Lord, here's here's my heart. I know that you know it, but, Lord, I just want to tell you. I want to be open to you, Lord. Here's the things that I'm thinking. Here's the ways that I've been living. Oh, Lord, here I am. Search me, God. Come nearer to me, God. Oh, God, see my thoughts, see my ways, search me and know me. I want to know you more. You track in with that. What begins to happen there in that relationship with the Lord is growth, is growing intimacy, growing love, growing communion, growing fellowship, growing likeness. And it is essential. It is essential if you really are serious about pursuing the Lord more. It's essential. Opening, learning the process of opening yourself up to God, letting him in, like taking the, the doors off the vault of your heart, right? And just letting God in. I don't know, I don't know about you, but I know about me. This is hard. Why is this so hard? Does anybody else feel like this is hard sometimes just to really be known? Anybody else struggle with just being known, completely known? Even though we know God knows us, we kind of want to keep him at a distance. The process of opening ourselves to God is that process of being known and being loved, receiving from God and letting him receive us. There, this is the process of truly, if you could just picture it, unlocking the doors to the, the inner chambers of your heart and of your life and of your thoughts, of your desires and your prayers and your dreams of your fears and your longings. It's really opening yourself up, taking the lock off, opening the door and saying, Lord, here I am. Know me, love me, help me, be with me. That is the process of opening yourself up to God. And if there's one thing that I want you to pursue, it's it's this. I really want you to focus on this this week. Now, the study we're in is a study of Christian disciplines. This is the desire and there's, there's, this has to happen in your heart. No amount of work that you do can replace this cry of your heart. And you need to just circle Psalm 139 and come back to it again and again. Let that be the prayer of your heart. But I'm gonna point you now to some disciplines, some practices, all right? Like if you want to, to, to lose weight or if you want to gain muscle mass, well, here's some exercises that if you're really serious about it, you could begin to pursue in and just to aid your, your pursuit of that goal. But you really got to want it deep down. That's where it starts. But let me give you some practical exercises. We're not going to have time to cover all of them. But for those that we do, um, I think you're going to be helped. First, I want to cover this. Um, one of the great disciplines in this area of opening ourselves up to God is this silence and solitude. If you've got something to write with, I really hope that you're writing these down. I really hope because otherwise it's going to be hard to really begin to live in these silence and solitude. 
this is hugely important. You see the scriptures there, and let me just read some of them for us. Psalm 46.10, be still, be still, be still, and know that I am God. Silence, solitude. Zephaniah 1.7, be silent before the Lord your God, for the day of the Lord is near. Psalm 23 may be a more familiar psalm to you. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Over and over in the Gospels, what we see in these many references here, Matthew, Mark, Luke, over and over and over, Jesus models for us something very interesting. He very regularly takes time to leave his work and to leave his close relationships, to be in a silent and solitude place for the purpose of knowing God. He does it before he's inaugurated into ministry. He does it before he chooses the 12 disciples. He does it after he feeds the 5,000 and after he heals the leper. He does it around the time of his transfiguration. Think about before his crucifixion, he withdrew into the garden a ways distance from those who were his disciples who were with him to what? To pray. Over and over again, what we see is Jesus. Jesus now, he's the very son of God, full of God. But yet what he knows is indispensable to his relationship with God is times of silence and solitude for the purpose of drawing near to God. This sweet time with the Lord, the desire here is to make space in my life for God alone. Define specific and regular times for quietly listening to God, delighting in his company, removing ourselves from the daily battle for times of refreshing, retooling, Renewing, unwinding. If you think about it, it's it's like um, it's like the equivalent of date night. All right, think about it like that. You are going to set time aside for one purpose: growing in your relationship with God. And you're going to cut everything else out for this one purpose, that you might have a growing relationship with God, that you might get to spend quality time with God. Knowing your desire and knowing the need for that intention, you're gonna create space in your life, right? Anybody ever read a book and enjoyed the margins? Has anybody ever thought about that? Am I weird? You know, I am weird. Okay, thank you, Jonathan and Blair. Um, If you read a book, sometimes if you just notice Authors often pay attention. If you, if you listen to authors ever, they'll talk about how they intentionally will design chapters and pages and books in order to have the, the space that they want. Sometimes they like a lot of space after a single line on a page. Or if you, if you read the next book, just look at how they do the margins, how they do the spacing. Spacing has an intention of something. <laughs> I know y'all think I'm weird. But spacing has intention to give you time to breathe. If a page is just absolutely filled with words, No margins whatsoever. You would be overwhelmed by that. If you're like me, I would be overwhelmed by that. Sometimes you need after something really deep or something really traumatic to have a little space, to have a little breathing room, times to to just be. If you think about it, that's a terrible analogy, whatever. If you think about it though, these times of solitude and rest, this is like margins in our lives. Now notice what I put here. The importance here is that this is intentional times for God. 
to hear his voice, to express worship and faith, to seek restoration or salvation, to, to really pray and seek his will. In other words, I'm not trying to say, you know, just go and play on your, you, you need a break from work, so go and hang out on your iPhone. And if you would just search Instagram, see how many times your thumb can go up and down your phone to look at mindless clutter on Facebook. That is not the kind of solitude and and silence that we're talking about here. We're also not talking about just going to take a nap, although that could be a very spiritual thing and you need, you need rest. But we're not talking about times where you watch Netflix or, or times where you um, are just sleeping away. What we're talking about here are intentional times that you would really seek the Lord, times that you would really seek to draw near to God. You can do this in minute retreats throughout the day. In other words, when you wake up in the morning, instead of going immediately to your phone, you could just awake and invite the presence of God before other people in your house are stirring. You can do it as you get coffee in the morning at the start of work. You could do it in the elevator rides at your workplace. You can do it when you're stuck in traffic instead of fuming or listening to NPR or being frustrated at the light or the people around you. You could just take that time. It's silent time that God's given to you. You can do it as you're waiting on hold with Comcast. <laughs> Lord knows we all need silence. God is, see, Comcast, now I'm going to turn this on a dime. Comcast is a gift to you because God wants to regularly give you hours and hours with him <laughs> as you wait on hold. <laughs> but these are the things I'm talking about. Let me tell you one of the best things you can do is schedule a daily or regular quiet time, devotional time to be with God. Now, we're going to come back later and talk about how to go into God's word more, but I'm just saying if you will take five, just say, I'm going to set five minutes of every day, regular time, like Friday night is my date night, you can say, you know what, every morning at 8 o'clock or every, every day at lunch at 10 o'clock, this is my time, this is my space. Set a time, set a place, and set a, a period that you're going to do this. And just every day or whenever that pattern is, spend that time with God retreating for the purpose of, of just knowing the Lord more. Let your heart be known. Let him speak to you. Spend time in God's word. Spend time in prayer. You can develop special places for this. A special chair within your home, a special place on your porch, a, a little tree in walking distance of your house, or maybe it's a, a little cottage that you regularly like to get away to. You need a lot of little places to be able to get away. Maybe it's just shutting your door at work. You need to develop a habit and a place uh, that you can really spend time with God. And you might have to do some work to trade off daily responsibilities. I've heard of moms who like swap, you know, moms are busy almost all day long. They'll swap their kids with another mom for a minute and they trade off so that they can have that kind of retreat space. Or you might have to do something at work where you give somebody some responsibility so that you can have that time, but then in, in turn, you're going to take their responsibility so they can have some time. It's things like that that you can do practically to really give yourself silence and space. Um, Richard Foster, in his book, Celebration of Discipline, I'm spending more time on this one because it's so important and foundational to the others. But he said, think of solitude as a state of mind and heart instead of just a place. You can have solitude in the midst of a crowd. You can have solitude all by yourself. And he goes, honestly, loneliness in our society has become a great fear. We don't like to be alone. Kids get upset when they say, nobody to play with me on the playground. Or, you know, uh, 
old adults get upset when they feel left out or, or, or pushed out or not invited into a certain group. And even older people, they just sit around and hope that soon they'll go home because they're so lonely. But the reality is, Foster says, Jesus calls us from loneliness to solitude. Our fear of being alone drives us to noise and crowds, but, but loneliness and clatter are not our only alternatives. In other words, we think we either got to be lonely or we got to be filled in a room with just clatter. And he said, that's not it. He said, we can cultivate an inner solitude that sets us free from loneliness and fear. Loneliness is inner emptiness, but solitude is inner fulfillment. In other words, you can develop solitude, whether in total isolation or whether in a crowd, but if you invite and recognize the presence of God with you and open yourself up to just being with him and spending time with him, you will realize that there is great fulfillment in those spaces, those margins of your life. But only you can develop that kind of silence and that kind of solitude. So the question with this is right now, do you give God silence and solitude? Do you have date nights with the Lord? <laughs> do, you have, do you have that kind of time? If not, what could you do starting this week? What's one thing that you could do? Look at the list. What could you do to really begin to cultivate space, margin in your life for the purpose of spending added time with the Lord? All right? Secondly, not only silence and solitude, but I want to highlight this one real quick, and it is journaling. Journaling. Much like um, some, some of the guys in the room just went, ain't no way journaling's for girls and sissy girls at that. Um, some of us have this attitude about journaling, and to be honest, I kind of do. Sometimes when I journal, I think, this is so girly. I hope not. Like, I don't like journaling in Starbucks because I think somebody's going to look at me and think, like, oh, wow, like, poor guy. Um, it just seems like a pitiful thing to do. I don't know why. Journaling is really wonderful. If you look at the Psalms, if you look at the Psalms, what is it? It's David's journaling. It's his heartfelt. Now, God gave David these words for us to teach us about God, but it's also David journaling. It's his heartfelt expression before God. Lamentations, Jeremiah's heartfelt lament before the destruction of Jerusalem. It goes right in line with the psalm that we looked at today. Search me, O God, and know me. Know my thoughts. Psalm 62, pour your heart out before the Lord, O people. Psalm 62, 8, pour your heart out before him. Journaling is a great thing because what it begins to do is really give you an outlet for the intersection of God and your life. It really helps you to kind of weave the narrative of your life and your journey with God together in a a beautiful thing that God is creating. Uh, If you look here at the benefits and the practice, these are some of the things that journaling really helps with. It really helps with self-understanding and evaluation. If you're forced to write down your thoughts and you begin consistently to do that, what happens is suddenly you're going to be start seeing patterns, consistent fears, consistent hopes, consistent, consistent sins, consistent longings, consistent issues. You will begin to become more aware of yourself. And that is a good thing. Part of this openness to God is that God wants us to see more of ourselves. 
just the reality. Journaling also helps in meditation. Uh, if you're like me, sometimes when you sit down with the scripture, does your mind wander? Oh, Lordy. Sometimes I can sit with the scripture and it just, suddenly I'm thinking about this, or I'm thinking about that, and it just feels like, ooh, got to tame in my thoughts. Um, journaling is a way to help with meditation. You can put a single verse in your journal and you can sit and really think about that verse as you're writing or as you're typing. There's no right or wrong way to journal. But it helps you to stay focused on the task. What is God teaching you through that verse? What is he showing you in that verse? What does that verse say about you? What does that verse say about God? How can you live in that verse? It focuses you. It really helps on meditating on the Lord. It helps you to express thoughts and feelings to the Lord. Has anybody ever struggled? You have something so monumentous and so overwhelming to tell somebody else, and you struggle to be able to communicate that. So what you do is you write a letter. Has anybody ever done that? Um, I have family members who have written me letters over the years because they're things so deep and so monumentous that they, they, would, they, they, they need, instead of that conversation, they've, they've got to find a focused way to really pour out all that they're feeling. I know in my life, sometimes it's been the act of sitting and writing down how I feel in the moment about the Lord and what I want and where my heart is that I have been moved to tears. I remember um, a few years back before mission trip, journaling um, and just overcome with emotion. And it wasn't until that moment of really sitting and focusing and pouring out my heart in a focused way that I was really able to express my deepest desires and longings and fears and really able to find presence and consolation with God. Help in remembering the Lord's work. Journaling is kind of like the stones in the Old Testament. In other words, some, aren't we prone to forget? What you can do with a journal, like I could go back in, in my office and find journals from my time with the Lord five, six years ago. And journaling, I have given up in this last season. And I was telling Michelle last night, as I've been saying this week, I've been impressed to maybe get back into it because I've, I've missed it in ways. But I can look back in the times that I was journaling and see all these marker moments in my life. And I go, oh, wow, I forgot that God did that. Oh, wow, do you remember that? It helps you call to mind the goodness of the Lord. Tracking? It helps you articulate insights and impressions. It helps you monitor goals and priorities. A good way that you could divide your journal, you can do this in a journal like from Barnes & Noble or Walgreens, or you could do it in a loose notebook paper. You can do it... Uh, in the computer, the, people ask the question, how should I journal? Whatever is best for you is the best way to journal, okay? It's just a way for you to articulate. But let me give you some helpful divisions, five divisions for your journal. First division you could have is your journey with God. Second, events of the day. Third, prayers for the world. Fourth, prayers for those who you love. And fifth, desires of your heart. Journey with God, events of the day, prayers for the world, prayers for those you love, desires of the heart. Now, do you journal? This is the question I would ask you. Do you journal? Have you ever tried it? If you have not tried it, my challenge to you would be, would you just try it? I know you might think this is so girly or this is so lame. I don't, I'm, I don't need to write dear diary, you know. 
But I'm not talking about a dear diary that you put a lockbox on. I'm talking about a way for you to connect with God and open yourself up to God more. I really believe that journaling is a way for you to be honest about your feelings, to be directed with spending time with God and to really allow the Lord to speak to you, not only about himself, but also about you and really be honest and open to God. Would you just try it? Would you try something new? Would you, especially in times of transition or change, it's so, so important. Another thing I wanna point your attention to, and I've only got just a few minutes left. Um, simplicity, uh, I'm not gonna have time to get this one. You can go online and download this. Uh, we talked about this a lot in the Generous series. Clutter and possessions crowd God out of your life. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added unto you. If you live a very cluttered life, constantly wondering what you're gonna wear, what you're gonna eat, what's the next car you're gonna drive, where's the next place you're gonna live, instead of just opening yourself up to receive with thanksgiving the things that God has given you. Finding ways to be generous toward people around. You already have all the clothes that you need. You already have a house that's probably big enough for you for life. You have cars that work. If you focus on the things that you need rather than the things that you want and just receive those things from God with thanksgiving, being generous toward others with simplicity, you will find more space and freedom in your life to really open yourself up to God. The Quaker song, tis a gift to be simple, tis a gift to be free. Y'all know that song? Okay, I'm great. Um, It's another solo this week. But anyway, uncomplicating and untangling your life to focus on what really matters, simplicity. You can go look at this more later. Next, we have unplugging. This is a huge one. Unplugging. Ecclesiastes says, be careful about all the crazy things that you can give yourself to in life because it all is fleeting, it all vanishes. And... It's vanity. In other words, there's very few things in life that really matter, so why don't you focus on these things? The desire here is to be fully present and uninterrupted in my interactions with God and others. The definition is unplugging calls to leave the virtual world of technology in order to become present with God and others. Lord have mercy. Michelle's going to tell me I need to preach to the choir here. This is a struggle for me. But what I am convinced of in my own life and in yours is this. Your sticking phone, where is it right now? It is a distraction to you. Your phone, your email, your constant plugging into technology is a distraction for me and it's a distraction for you to find meaningful times to connect with God and other people. Consider a discipline of unplugging devices that interrupt your relationships. Refraining from the use of email or controlling it, being careful not to use it when you're home or being careful not to use it in the presence of others that you're connecting to in the moment or not checking those text messages the minute that they arrive. In your quiet times, just turning your phone off, setting an alarm on a device that's not your phone. Um, Not bringing home the email over the weekend or maybe just putting it on a, instead of it constantly coming to your phone, you can go on your phones, you can set it to like fetch. In other words, you have to control when you're gonna hear that you have a new email. Your phone's not just gonna bing every time that you get an email. Communicating face-to-face rather than through technology. In other words, how can you control your use of technology better to create more uninterrupted space in your life that you might better connect with God and better connect with other people? 
Could you right now find a way to spend focused time with God that is not interrupted by technology? What could you do right now to unplug a little bit more? To have just three hours a day maybe where you just are not getting the ding, 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 dings. They'll wait for you, I promise. And if they don't, find another job. (laughs) You've got to have this kind of space in your life. It is essential to connecting with God. A few others that I'll mention and then we'll be done. Slowing down. I don't have time for this one, but eating slower. (laughs) That was funny. That was funny. Slowing down. Trying to curb busyness and hurry and workaholism. In other words, we listen, you are always trying to get to the next thing, but where are you ever present fully where you are? What God gives you is the presence of each moment. God is present now, and now is all you're ever promised. So while you might need to think about where you're going next, don't miss the opportunity to be with God where you are. Stop. Smell the roses. Take the slow lane. Eat slower. Talk slower. Listen more. Do things in your life that intentionally make you slow down, that you again might have this kind of space opportunity, time to reflect, time to pray, time to give yourself to God. I think there's one more that will hit. Where's that it? That's it. Oh, teachability. You can go look at that one later. But in other words, maintaining an attitude of openness to the Holy Spirit. God doesn't just want you to have knowledge. He wants you to be a learner, a humble learner. Knowledge and learning did not change anybody, but those who really have a heart of humility to really seek transformation in God. Jesus always sought out those who were willing to be taught. So being learning ways that you can be more open to learning, seeing God more, learning about God more, experiencing God more in your life, an attitude of teachability is huge. All of this, again, pointed at openness. And as we close and Robbie comes, Here's my my question for you today. Super casual day, but it's a really meaningful opportunity for you. Do you have a desire for more of the Lord? I'll tell you one thing. The Lord has desire for you. He loves you so much that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whosoever might believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. The Lord desires you. He loves you. He wants you. He wants to commune with you and be with you more than you could ever imagine. Do you want to grow in your relationship with him? If so, do you recognize that openness to God, opening yourself to God, something that you control, is key to your growth in God? Do you today have a heart that says, God, I want to be more open to you than ever before? I want to be open to you, Lord. And do you have the commitment today to do the things in your life that you can do to position yourself to be more open to God. Maybe today you just need to commit to spending more time with him, having date times with him. Maybe it's journaling. Maybe it's more times of silence, solitude. Maybe it's slowing down. Maybe it's disconnecting all the busy noise and electronics. Maybe it's trying to find ways to retreat. What can you do? What commitments can you make? to position yourself to be more open to God.
I pray that we as a church would make those commitments because we really have a heart to grow in the Lord. And I believe God will meet you. He says, seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart.